The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Denny Carter, where we will be breaking down the weekend's preseason action and talking about some hinge point ADPs. Hashtag hinge point ADPs, the players who can make or break your draft. But first, there's an important topic I want to ask Denny about. Yes. Uh, something I dealt with personally over the weekend, um, that is day drinking. Um, is you it, dealt with <laughs> yeah, is it good is it bad and why was i asleep at 8 p.m last night denny uh, denny how are you doing i'm fine uh, i have some thoughts on 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 the day drinking it's not appealing it was at least it, what for me it was not appealing at all until uh you know i became a dad and uh early wake-up times became you know the order of the day and, like you couldn't you couldn't avoid them you 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 have to be up you have to be making breakfast. You have to be doing all the parent stuff very early uh, in the morning. So, the, you know, therefore, there is some appeal to having a few drinks during the day, hydrating heavily, yeah, which I think is, is a key yeah. here. Is it here's here's what you don't do when you drink at night, like right before bed, you don't hydrate. No, be- because a there's you know we we don't we don't want to be up up and down going to the bathroom four or five times during the night. That's horrendous. And, and B, we're just, we're just lazy. Like we just, we just drink and then go to bed and then your body sits there for eight hours with all this, you know, poison in it and it becomes dehydrated. So, so you, it, there's a lot of appeal in, in day drinking, but you're, you're right. It does uh, tend, tend to put you uh, to sleep pretty early. In the nap zone, you know, I did not drink heavily yesterday and, and it still was just totally in the nap, the sleep zone by 8 PM. And, I think one of the one of the things like the day drinking committee doesn't really tell you is that, you know, a lot of day drinking, almost all day drinking is exclusively in the summer. And, you know, in America, in this continental climate, a lot of times that means 90 degrees, high humidity. So as you're drinking your life force, you're outside, your life force is also being like sucked away by the weather. That's something that will make you tired even without drinking. And then you combine that with drinking. And this, I'm a night owl like myself. I don't want to be going to bed at eight or eight thirty. Yeah. And like I, I'm just, I'm just helpless and like uh, basically in a coma for ten or eleven. Because you were telling me off air, you know, it's like a hangover defeater. But I, 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 I argue that it was the back door hangover, the false flag hangover of like <laughs> uh, I stopped drinking at like three thirty yesterday, and again, I did not drink heavily. 
and still by eight o'clock i'm barely functional and i say i think if you're going to promote day drinking we also need to talk about the dark undercurrent of, of day drinking yeah um, you know there there's no uh you don't get off for free when, when when you drink more you know when you have more than a few drinks you you have to pay pay the price you know eventually i think that the price is way heavier at nighttime leading into the morning there. I, I just because you know at least at nighttime you have the ritual you've got you know what you're gonna do like i actually do drink a ton of water before i go to bed like i've got the nighttime drinking regulated and down to a science i'm gonna do x y and z yeah. whereas the day drinking it just doesn't come with a manual and uh you do have to wing it a little bit yeah and because the media won't tell you how to day drink that's, no that's that's, the one media, thing they that's one thing i will say the media does want you to night drink they won't tell you about the day drink and but i'm just saying maybe the media's right about this <laughs> and they don't it, have to be wrong about everything yeah, and at the very it, least if you're going to promote day drinking you have to promote a sleep by 8 p.m and you have to promote the the backdoor secret hangover that no one talks about. The secret um, secret hangover. Well, I I uh, I I know about a secret hangover. I, I experienced one at the Fantasy Football Expo, <laughs> where um, I thought I thought that I had gotten off scot free from our first <laughs> night there, where I I may have overdone it. Uh, woke up the next morning, actually felt pretty decent. You know, oh okay, well I I survived that. Uh, fast forward about three hours and. I wanted to lie down on the expo floor and go to sleep. <laughs> I think one of the big problems with the expo was the combination of day and night drinking. Um, yeah. That were it wasn't full blown day drinking, but I mean it was like five p.m. drinking, and that was a real problem for all of us. Well, yeah. once the the sun starts its descent, is when you can start drinking at a convention. That's you true. Know? That's uh, true. I, I think you're saying like once you show up is when you can start. Well, drinking at a I, I go, I go by the sun at 12.01 PM Eastern time. <laughs> I, uh, the, that, that is the appropriate time at a, at a convention. Now at, at home, I generally don't drink while the sun is up. I'm not a, I'm not a farmer as Jack Donaghy would say on uh, <laughs> yes. 30, 30 rock. Uh, so anyways, all right. We've maybe figured out nothing about day drinking, but just no, we be careful. And I just see it promoted, you know, endlessly is like this it's a great alternative, and I just at least share the facts with people. I think many people would say, "Why discuss day drinking or versus night drinking when you can simply not drink?" That's that is a good point. Those people, <laughs> people are saying more and more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people are saying Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. People are also saying, 
Going to recap this weekend of preseason action. Mitchell Trubisky is now pushing Josh Allen for this starting job in Buffalo. Didn't see it coming. Uh, didn't see it coming. Yeah, big curveball out of this weekend of preseason action. Uh, if they play, listen, if the Bills play the Bears for 16 straight games, Trubisky <laughs> is the quarterback one. It's a real problem. That's going to be a real, real, like, uh, I don't envy Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean at all for the, the upcoming decision <laughs> they have to make with their all Bears schedule. We will begin with our weekend preseason recap with the Michael Carter calamity. Michael Carter once again failed to serve as the Jets' primary running back. I played deep into the second half, which we know is usually the sign of a player who's not going to be an integral part of the offense, at least early on in the season. Denny, are you reading deep in this, or is there like a counter take? Like, it's just the rookie. He just needs as many reps as possible. Mm -hmm. It actually doesn't really speak to what his week one usage is going to be. Or is it time to pump the brakes on the Michael Carter hype train? So this is this is all about ADP, uh, and 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 it should be for for everyone involved. Because I mean, we're not talking about dynasty; we're talking about redraft here. And yes, this is very concerning. Like it's way it's it was concerning in in week one of preseason. Now, now, like you said, calamity is a good is a good word because honestly, the Jets using Michael Carter in the fourth quarter of a week two preseason game is an attack on my best ball rosters more than anything. I will say that we're going to see Carter's uh, ADP drop right now. It is in the seventh round. I'm looking this up as we go because I'm a professional. You are professional. Um, Carter's, you know, seventh round ADP, that's going to drop a lot. You know, uh, we're, I think we're going to see that probably in the next week, get down into the ninth round. He will eventually get to a point where I think he he's he is very much draftable. Um, you know, Connor Hughes, the athletics you know beat writer for the Jets, a very plugged in guy, but you know, a, a very adept, has said multiple times that it's a matter of time until Michael Carter becomes the primary running back in that in that Jets offense. I, I believe him and Je and our own Jack Miller, uh, and he's written about this several times, but um, he he's he's talked about how. Rookie running backs tend to come on later in the season, so you're you're not drafting them to plug and play in week one usually, unless unless it's you know someone like a Saquon Barkley or someone who's drafted very high in the NFL draft. But um, yeah, so Carter strikes me as the kind of guy whose opportunity and production could pick up much later in the season, but you're going to have to be really patient. So does that make even if his ADP then? like fall, say it falls like the 10th or 11th round, which by the way, Michael Carter's ADP on Yahoo, which is more of a season long, more of the broader player pool, uh, i.e. less complete psychos than the kind of people we deal with in <laughs> the right. industry. It actually is already the ninth round. He's in the oh. seventh round. Yeah. And like the really hardcore like services, like the people who are drafting 10 best ball teams, a minimum of 10, like you're only drafting 10 a day. 10. That's really weird. like I thought you I thought you were a hardcore fantasy player. Right. Um, it is already ninth on Yahoo, but like, say Mike Carter stays in like that eighth to tenth round range, and ADP is like, is it even worth it, or is it just gonna be one of those players who's like burning a hole in your pocket? And so even if you think he's yeah. gonna come on the second half of the season, is he just gonna be like, I've got to drop Michael Carter after so week it, three? It's a good question. I I would say that if he's in the ninth or tenth round, I probably. I'm taking guys like Jamal Williams, Gus Edwards, not pro not probably. I definitely am taking those guys over Carter, even JD McKissick, who clearly has up. has a role still in the Washington offense. I tend to think, as much as as we we think, okay, the further a guy drops, the better he is for like a zero RB or something, you know, or 
you know, a hero RB roster build. We're all uh, trying to find the guy who did this. Um. <laughs> right, right. Where's my hot dog? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, thank you for not making me wear it today. But, you know, as much as I think that that's good for those kind of rosters, I actually think that Michael Carter might be a good a good pick for someone who has, you know, a couple or, or three startable running backs to start the season. And you can grab Carter late and see if he develops. Um, maybe you, you know, maybe you can start him later on, but you can be patient with him. Whereas like the way I build my team, it's going to be really hard to be that patient with a guy who might not see a whole lot of playing time to start the season with obviously Tevin Coleman there with, Ty Johnson, who we said last week, you know, is not bad. Like Ty, there was a time I'm old enough to remember a time when fantasy football analysts were very excited about Ty Johnson when he was with Detroit. So he's there, he's a thing, and we are going to have to wait on Carter. Ty Johnson does seem to kind of be a thing. I, I do think this might just be a matter of like the the Jets making Michael Carter jump through the typical right rookie hoops. Like the Jets, I'm while expectations are much increased there, they still know like this isn't going to be a playoff year. So like they don't need to, they don't feel the need to like throw Michael Carter into the fire, but I actually am still comfortable with him in like that eight to 10 round range. Cause I mean, I'm just not worried about Tevin Coleman. I just constitutionally could never be worried about Tevin Coleman. Ty Johnson is intriguing. And like, they do seem to genuinely like him, but he just seems like someone kind of like destined to be a part of a committee, like not someone that's going to like block another player. Yeah. Um, I've heard nothing about LaMichael P Ryan, like all summer. Like, I wonder if his roster spot is in jeopardy. Yeah. Um, I don't think that he's going to be a thing, a factor in fantasy, but you know, getting parts of this jets backfield, I think could, could pay off nicely down the line, uh, depending on how things shake out. And yes, that includes, I'm sorry to report, Pat, but that includes maybe taking a flyer on Tevin Coleman. The haters are triggered. Um, I'm going to be pretty triggered the rest of the show, but it, it actually, it does need to be said because yeah. uh, I don't agree with it, but it, he, it, it, Tevin Coleman, whether I want it to be a thing or not, certainly right. appears like it might be a thing. Right. Um, right. I mean, he's so. very familiar. He's not, he's familiar with the system. He's familiar oh, with yeah. the coaches, the, the, the coaches there, you know, sometimes, you know, especially in redrafts, we just kind of have to accept that, you know, a, a, a guy is going to get like a lot of, opportunity like first the first crack at a very you know important role in an offense and, a, and a, probably a pretty good offense i know maybe we disagree on that but uh the, i, I like do. i like i like the jets offense you can sue me tevin coleman always familiar with the system never familiar with production uh it's pretty much his and, but in in points per familiarity with the system <laughs> leagues you gotta go with him. it is through the roof and yeah he he is familiar with the system in the way that usually only quarterbacks are. You know, usually you only hear that for like a guy who's coming right. in like, well, I mean, Nathan Peterman has to be our number three quarterback for the 48th straight year because he knows the system. That's usually only quarterbacks. <laughs> Tevin Coleman gets the quarterback benefit of the doubt wow. with knowing the system. I don't, neither of these guys are system knowers yet who we're going to talk about. The Buffalo Bills running backs this weekend, Devin Singletary got the first crack with the first team. Played all 10 snaps in the Bills' opening drive. I'm paraphrasing from Jack Miller's article, which is a recap of the weekend up on NBCSportsEdger.com. It's a great site. I'm going to be paraphrasing from that for a lot of this. Um, so, yeah, Devin Singletary got all 10 snaps in the opening drive. He was in for 18 of the Bills' first 20 plays. Zach Moss then emerged and dominated snaps until the starters departed. 
Singletary ended up with 21 first-team snaps. Zach Moss, 12. Zach Moss was returning from an injury, but Denny, is this like kind of like the latest sign that Devin Singletary, as much as people want him to go away, will not be going away and could actually maybe be the 1A in this 1A, yeah. 1B committee? Yes. I, I, I think that Zach Moss is, uh, I believe it was a hamstring, some sort of soft tissue injury that he suffered two weeks ago at camp where Matt Breida was bumped up into the top two on the depth chart her beat reporters there are a lot of Brita whispers this summer there say. Been, yes it's it's a little bit intriguing as a as a you know a, an explosive blazing fast running back who has been productive uh in the past i'm not i'm not out on matt Brita. let's I'm, just say that i'm not either i'm shocked that i can talk about matt Brita without you firing me here <laughs> it's because I, I was always a Brita truther as well so oh good 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 that's why uh I just want to say, I know we're not going to change the subject. Hack tip to your lawyers. Uh, I was told before the show today, don't come at Denny quite as hard as you had. Okay. His Thank lawyers you. have been filing some successful motions lately. We might need to slow play it a little. Thank, thank God. Um, I think, you know, but, the, the, the judges are doing their <laughs> their work. Um, Devin Singletary, sorry. So, so Singletary, yeah, Singletary looks like looks like the, the 1A right now. I mean, I guess things could change in the next couple of weeks and we'll, we'll keep an eye on their, their training camp usage and the, and the usage in their final preseason game. My one, my one issue is that by a lot of measures, almost all measures, Singletary was really bad last year. I was uh, Zach Moss though. I'll say, well, I, I was, so I was looking right before the show, I was looking at uh, expected fantasy points on, on from, from our friends at Rotoviz. And Singletary was like negative 20 in expected fantasy points. So basically like the, the opportunity that he got resulted in 20 fewer points than you would have expected. And this makes sense because when Moss was out last year, Singletary ran a ton of, a ton of routes. He was in on a ton of snaps. He got like a huge chunk of the carries, even though Buffalo didn't, didn't run it all that much, but you know, still it's important when it, when a running back gets, gets a, a good rushing share and didn't do much with it. I did. Um, someone say didn't do anything with it. So I, I am, I am a little bit hesitant to say that Singletary is a guy I, I, I definitely want to go in on. Honestly, I I'm probably going to take whoever between Moss and Singletary, whoever is uh, uh, cheaper. And right now that's, I believe that's Singletary just by a little bit. Honestly, the, the play might be just to grab my, Matt Breida at the end yeah, of the draft. I know. And like, that can kind of be like sometimes kind of, like off the shelf advice, like just take whoever's the lower ADP, but it does feel like the correct play with this bill's backfield because no one really knows. Uh, it's unclear if either player is good. I mean, we, neither were good enough last year to make the bills like actually want to run the ball. <laughs> so right. like that, neither one were forcing the issue with the bills last year in establishing the run. I still, I honestly think it is going to be Devin Singletary, but like, like barely. So last year, Devin Singletary ended up averaging 12 touches, Zach Moss, 10. There were all sorts of extenuating circumstances yeah. there. It was by no means decisive, but you know, Zach Moss has kind of had, he said like a number of like minor injuries now, like that could be starting to come a bugaboo to the Bills' coaching staff. Like Devin Singletary was the last man standing by the end of the playoffs. <laughs> Devin Singletary does have seemingly has the passing game advantage maybe not like a decisive one but he definitely had it last year i would guess that he probably still has that advantage this year and for a team that like you know had no problem whatsoever just abandoning the run at will last year i feel like that could be like a nice like tiebreaker 
between Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Um, but I, I think you did just hit the nail on the head, really. Like Again, this is kind of like cop-out canned advice, but you really should just take whoever has the lower ADP because it seems to be a true 50-50. It'll be an evolving situation, and it could even evolve into Matt Breida, who has like made just enough noise at camp that he might – force his way in his committee, especially like I said, after neither player uh, forced the bill's hand last year. Right. And, and honestly, if you, if you're going for like upside swing for the fence type type running back plays in, in that range where Moss and Singletary are going, you're going for pretty much anybody else, but Moss. (laughs) neither of them holds that upside allure, which is why I've only taken Singletary when he's, when he's fallen like well below his ADP. I'm really, I'm really not looking. I kind of glance right over them when they're available at ADP um, for, you know, in favor of, uh, of guys like, you know, like Ronald Jones is I think a way way better pick than either of those guys on on the off chance that, you know, Lombardi Lenny, uh, you know, misses time this year or (laughs) just, or, or just falls out of favor, you know, with the, with the coaching staff, Ronald Jones is really good. I would take Ronald Jones a hundred times out of a hundred over, over either Buffalo back. So there are guys sprinkled throughout that ADP who are way more appealing to me. Yeah, I'll say, just going by underdog best ball ADP, Zach Moss is the RB35. Devin Singletary is the RB43. The backs between them are Melvin Gordon, James Conner, Tony Pollard, Gus Edwards, Leonard Fournette, Kenyon Drake, Jamal Williams. With Ronald Jones being the RB34, I would rather have essentially every one of those players over either yeah. of those back. Um so that maybe, yeah, maybe just, we're going to give the really best, but just ignore it. You know, you don't have to make a decision on it. Just let well, someone else take the bills. I mean, sometimes we, we do just generally uh, fantasy managers, including myself, we agonize over these backfield splits. And then back in, by October or even earlier than that, we realize, Oh, wow. I, that was a lot of wasted time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not, none of these guys matter in, in fantasy. So <laughs> what was, what was I doing? Uh, and I think that, that, you know, the Bills have paid a lot of lip service to establishing the run this offseason. We got to run more, got to run more effectively, this and that. Although they still will say we want to score points, which is more than most NFL teams will say. They don't they don't want they don't want the fans to know that, that they need no, to score points. Right, right. We, we're here to score to score some points. And and uh, so I, I don't think that they will follow through on you know, on that, on that establishing the run stuff that they've kind of hinted at this season, it, which makes, you know, which makes Moss and Singletary kind of afterthoughts, I think, at their ADPs. I will say the Bills, they needed to be able to run more against the Chiefs, I will say. like They had, like, the passing attack was shut down. The Chiefs were more vulnerable on the ground, and they just, like, literally could not yeah. run the ball. And that was, like, the final image that stuck in their head. So maybe they'll try to be more, right. more serious, but, but I do highly doubt I, I don't I'm not paying any attention basically to the Bills claiming they're going to establish the run because yeah, they're not going it's a it's a lie folks <laughs> and just mentioned the Chiefs uh Clyde Edwards Hilaire we're going back to the well there uh basically people acting like he did not disappoint at all last year I uh, suffered a slight ankle sprain over the weekend Denny is this finally enough to give him a slight drop in ADP where it doesn't really matter what the service is if it's Yahoo season long if it's underdog best ball he's like what he's in like that second to third round range at this point and the chiefs is opener is only 20 days from today do you trust clyde edwards elair to be healthy by then and do you, do you think yeah this will lead to an actual adp adjustment as we head in 
to the thickest part of drafting season. I think a little bit. I think I think you know people will this news will register because you know after the game against Arizona, Andy Reid was asked about Ceh's ankle, and he said, you know, he gave some detail. It's on the inside of the ankle. We don't believe it's a high ankle sprain. Kind of very careful language about what it may or may not be. You know, reading that quote uh, didn't make me feel great about Clyde Edward Elair's, you know, the, week one. Week the H one is time. silent. The H is silent. Yeah. For, you you pronounce the H, by the way. No, I know. I say Elair. No, you said Elair. I kind right? of, the very first time, I think, I think I had something in my throat well, and I kind of caught. It, um, it's but... a, that's an abomination, <laughs> honestly. That Monday night announcer would be furious. With he you. would be. Uh, uh, he was so, logged on, man. Steve Levy was logged on. Steve that Levy, night. right? That name. I've never seen anyone more logged on than that. Uh, shouts to him yeah and uh what we were talking about oh so so i I, but i do think that you know if you're looking for running back flyers at the end of the draft uh daryl daryl williams the the mentor as the the kids call him (laughs) i always make myself laugh with that i don't know why (laughs) uh, daryl williams is is definitely someone to target is, is what i should say you know he got most of the work when ceh was out last year especially on passing downs in that you know pass pretty pass heavy casey offense um and and there's also this little tidbit from earlier in the offseason where andy reed and patrick mahomes talked at length to peter king and others about the need to involve running backs and tight ends not named travis kelsey in the running game so more intermediate passing and not just this downfield stuff to Tyree Kill and uh, and and Travis Kelsey over the middles, and so if that if that sort of passing game work would filter down to Daryl Williams uh, in a case where Ceh is out, I think Williams could be really really useful in in PPR formats. Yeah, and Daryl Williams is someone who, like essentially has not developed an ADP. He's the RB sixty two, which yeah. means he's not even an RB five, which does strike me as insane because we just witnessed this approach not work with the chiefs last year. I mean, again, it was a rookie year. Definitely. I would say it's still probably the most likely outcome that it will work out for Clyde Edwards, Elair, but uh, this approach did not work last year as a backfield that ended up having to use multiple backs. And the guy who was most likely to be that second back. Yeah. It's the RB 62 doesn't have an ADP. That's as crazy uh, considering, you know, how explosive this offense is, how we want to target this offense and, I'm not really concerned about Elair, Edwards Elair's health, but Andy Reid said, yeah. He said, we believe it's not a high ankle sprain. Yeah. Would have preferred the word like no there, K-N-O-W, that we know it's not a high ankle sprain and that we believe it's not a high ankle sprain. So that, that was interesting. But yeah, I mean, just why would you not be taking Daryl Williams basically at the back end of every single draft you're in? And if you have to, Edwards Elair is amazing, then yeah. just instantly drop. Daryl Williams, but this is a backfield that had to go multi-back last year. And like, till we see for sure with our own eyes, Daryl Williams should be considered a very viable late round flyer. Yeah. And, and uh, I should say, you know, for the Jarek McKinnon truth truthers who are screaming at their computers or, or phones right now, stop, first of all, stop screaming. Yeah. You're making a fool of yourself. And, and, and secondly, apparently Williams has been playing ahead of McKinnon at, at, at training camp and had, and did play ahead of him in the preseason game against Arizona. Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to Jarek McKinnon, but he he really was just like a roster filler. And he's like a guy coaching staffs love, and he's probably been great to have on the roster over this offseason. Like someone can like teach the younger guys things. But like Jarek McKinnon is 
he's just not a going concern in this offense. Like it's just too many injuries for a guy who could have been great. There's too many injuries and you should not, you should be zeroed in as Daryl Williams as the right. guy behind Clyde Edwards. Yeah. Jerry McKinnon, you know, he was, uh, he was on these 49ers last year, folks. This is a transition, what we call in the industry. It's great. Yeah. That's a great transition. Lance also on the 49ers. Um, Trey looked very tentative against the chargers. Uh, Got off to a really, really poor start uh, in the, the 49ers preseason game on Sunday. He did settle down and look better, but how how good are you feeling about Trey Lance being out there in week one, Denny? After he's kind of in this position where like we know it doesn't really matter. Like we're not actually concerned about like Trey Lance's career prospects or whatever. But like you have to kind of to force your way into that week one starting job, you have to kind of like ace every test. Right. And it'd be hard to consider this an acing of the test. No. Yeah. He hasn't, he definitely hasn't aced anything. And, and uh, as exciting as he looks for fantasy reasons, uh, I think Kyle Shanahan said it best when someone asked, has the quarterback competition changed? And he said, basically I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I would love to report. Yes. Meaning I would love to say that Trey Lance has made these improvements, has aced his test so far, but no, the answer, the answer was a flat out. No. Yikes. So we are, we are headed uh, headlong into Jimmy G season week one, maybe, maybe further than that. The thing is though, you know, for, I mean, I, we, I, I'll quickly address Jimmy Garoppolo's fantasy usefulness this year. Cause it's, it, it's not something that many folks are talking about. And for good reason, but Trey Lance is expected to still be part of the offense, even if Garoppolo starts. Like they're not going to give him a visor and a clipboard and say, "Talk to you in October, kid." Like he's <laughs> he's going to be he's going to be helmet on, ready to go in on short yardage situations, probably running situations, throw off the defense, add add a little bit of uh, spice to an otherwise kind of boring passing offense with with Jimmy G at the head of it. So I wouldn't, you know, I I do, I do think it's a matter of time, but. There's almost no way that Lance starts week week one at this point. The Zoomers don't know who Taysom Hill is, but what you're basically saying is they might get some Taysom Hill type action from Trey Lance early in the season. If he's not ready to be the full-time starter, come in and mix it up in the red zone, maybe throw a few passes. Yeah. And I think, you know, we could see we could see that in a few spots. I know we're about we're we're gonna address the New England situation. We could see that in New England with Mac Jones and Cam Newton. We could even see it with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields oh. early in the season until until Fields takes that takes over that job. I feel a way more confident that, and I'm, I think you would agree that Fields will take that job before Lance takes the Niners job. I do, and I've just felt that way all along, just because it just makes too much sense. It, it is interesting that one of the things the 49ers have raved about all off season is like Trey Lance's intelligence. It was almost like they're trying to hedge against the fact that he didn't play last year yeah. and is making the jump from FCS. This kept talking up how smart he is. Maybe as in like, we know it's crazy that this guy was a division two player played one game in 2020, but he's so smart. He can maybe make the jump. Uh, but yeah, it just hasn't translated on the field yet. It hasn't translated even really in practice yet. He's getting, he's not getting bad practice reviews, but he's just not just coming out there. You know, like seizing the means of under under center production uh, for the 49ers. Politics, man. Uh, and uh, it just it makes a ton of sense. He's I've said it so many times, but he's played one game in the past two years. It was an exhibition against Central Arkansas. The guy just might not be ready. 
And I have, I do have much more faith in Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields will probably honestly still be the week one starter. And I'm not saying never with that because if you're the 49ers, I mean, clearly you, you're trying to contrive reasons for Trey Lance to start. And maybe the reason will end up just being he's Trey Lance for doing it. Screw it. But I think Justin Fields is giving his team much more cover so far than Trey Lance is with the 49ers. I, you know what? I suggested something on Twitter. I want to throw it out here on, on a good football show. Uh, if Matt Nagy really wants to stick to his, to his guns and, and be a principled man and head coach. And when he, cause he told Andy Dalton, the job is his. Okay. Why, and, why, why would you do that? And, right. He, he, huge. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake is what, is what he's saying right now. But he can he can uh, find a happy medium, and, and here it is: you have Andy Dalton go out there week one against the Rams, first series. He takes a ceremonial first snap and takes a knee, and then goes to the sideline for just in in favor of Justin Fields. You have fulfilled your promise, Matt Nagy. I think a lot of people have made the, the serious point that he might just be like the week one sacrificial lamb uh, against Aaron Donald and the Rams. I, I don't. Um, know. I, that, that's tough for coaches though because. A coach never wants to, even if it's a ruse, a coach never wants to admit after one week, like, oh, I made the wrong decision, you know? <laughs> like, how could, could people would rightfully ask Matt Nagy, how could you go through all of training camp, decide Andy Dalton was the starter, and then after one game when he gets his head ripped off by Aaron yeah, Donald, right. you decide he shouldn't be? But it would maybe make the most sense, like, why have your guy, your golden boy, make his NFL debut Against one, of, frankly, one of the most feared humans in the entire country. People keep fighting him for some reason. By the way, do not fight Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, whether it's on the field or at a bar, etc. Do not fight Aaron Donald. Yeah, um, I would see. I would suggest the same uh, about about having a physical altercation with. <laughs> but okay, but you cannot you cannot make this decision based on one defensive player from the other team. And I understand he's a it's prominent true. defensive player, but come on, you can't do that. <laughs> It's true. It's true. And there, they will not do that. Yeah. And yeah, honestly, it would be a great like first test for Justin Fields to face the Rams defense. Yeah. And I'd love to see it deal with uh, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron, Aaron Donald. But uh, yeah. And a coach is just not going to do that for one game. Cause that makes the coach look really, really stupid. Oh. And Matt Nagy seems very concerned about optics and wants yeah. people to believe that Matt Nagy is intelligent. So I don't think he's going to go about it that way. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I would like to remind our listeners to purchase the NBC Sports Edge Draft Guide. It's packed with hundreds of player profiles, rankings, projections, tiers, mock drafts, custom scoring, up to the second injury updates, and so much more. 
is an updated reflect all the latest news, including the happenings in the Chiefs and Dolphins' backfields. Head to NBCSportsEdge.com slash NFL Draft Guide to sign up as part of the Roto tier. And do not forget to use promo code FBPOD20 for 20% off any annual subscription. That is FBPOD20. Denny, uh, earlier you mentioned Mac Jones. I mean, the people don't want us to talk about Mac Jones. I mean, no one actually wants to talk about Mac Jones, but he was throwing dimes against the Eagles. He's getting really good reviews from Patriots practice. NBC Sports Boston's Tom Curran, who's probably the best Patriots beat writer out there, just a Patriots lifer, a guy who tells it like it is. Uh, He thinks to the naked eye, Mac Jones has been playing better than Cam Newton, who Cam didn't get the jab. And now due to a COVID testing mix-up, can't even practice this week. And do we are we starting to take Mac Jones as a potential week one starter more seriously? Well, I I think that the the Cam news is significant because we're talking about almost a whole week of Mac Jones practicing with the first team exclusively, where he has been splitting or actually on the wrong side of, of a split of first team reps in, in recent weeks. And this, these are, um, you know, joint practices, you know, heading into the, the team's final preseason game. It's, um, it, it is a, it's a turn, I would say, in this competition. And I think it emphasizes the fact that, uh, you know, un- unvaccinated players are at a competitive disadvantage in, in, in several ways. And this is, this is one of them. Like, you know, Cam left the New England area to get a, some sort of medical procedure or not procedure but you know some some sort of treatment and it was it was you know signed off by the team and the team was fine with it comes back there was some misunderstanding it was, that that was the word misunderstanding about how he needed to be tested or something like that so he's out of the team facility like he can't he can't be there and he had i believe he had the the starting job wrapped up because bill belichick seems really intent on not usurping him because he was the starter last year which is a very weird thing by the way that bill belichick isn't machiavellian enough to be like (laughs) it's anybody's job i could sign someone off the street tomorrow and he could be the starter you know but uh, yeah i would say that jones has a pretty decent shot to be week one starter yeah bill belichick loves cam newton but maybe projecting way too much here but bill belichick does not love when people put the team in a bad spot and cam newton even though it's purely accidental, put the team in a bad spot and cannot practice this week. And you'd have to think that maybe subconsciously or then just maybe even overtly, uh, if Mac Jones plays well this week, it's going to hurt Cam Newton and erase the that was seeming kind of locked up. It wasn't locked up just because of what Cam did against the Eagles. The Eagles essentially playing like their Z team defense last week. Uh, truly, even for the preseason, it was like truly embarrassing how bad the Eagles were last Thursday night. But uh, yeah, Mac, it, you don't want to give the, the guy coming for your job momentum. Like Mac was already creating some of his own momentum. And now like Cam Newton has created like a very real shot for him to get like almost like terminal velocity as he's like fighting for the starting job, Mac Jones. And I, maybe it's not been decided, but I think the, these next four to five days probably will be the deciding factor in what happens at the Patriots starting quarterback job. So follow it very closely. If you're trying to project like going into weekend drafts, or even if the Patriots don't announce it, I bet these next four to five days will decide who the Patriots starting quarterback is. Yeah. And you're really only interested in these guys in super flex formats. I can't imagine either Cam Newton or Mac Jones looking 
anything close to draftable in one quarter. I think Cam last year, I mean, even though they scored like 15 total times, wasn't he like a QB one, like half the time he started or something though? I mean, yeah, the rushing, there is, there's certainly the rushing foot. I I guess what I mean is that even if he wins the job, I feel like it's not going to be like a a permanent, permanent situation. Uh, There's going to be a lot of vacillating between uh, do we go Uh, there's also the the potential and and we blurred about this this morning by we I mean me about a a, a quarterback platoon no no politics Benny come on (laughs) but a quarterback (laughs) platoon oh I get what you're saying I just I just understood (laughs) it Uh, in in New England where you know Belichick was asked about that and you know you'll be shocked to know he didn't give a straight answer (laughs) but he didn't he also didn't knock it down which I thought I you know I thought that that was somewhat somewhat significant. He didn't say no, we're not doing that. He said we'll we'll do what it takes for the team to win. Which now that I say it is probably his answer to everything. Yeah, I mean it, it was unfortunately just his answer to everything. I mean he might have been laughing internally at that question. But I will say that Mac Jones starting doesn't mean that Cam Newton doesn't trot onto the field on third and goal from the one yard line. And like, yeah, really, frankly, it's annoying for us, but why would you not do that kind of? And like Cam, you know, unlike Taysom, I guess Taysom finally did kind of prove it last year. Like if Cam comes into the game and like a Taysom Hill type package, the defense isn't going to be like, well, there's a 0% chance he throws because uh, he's thrown, you know, thousands of career passes. Like defenses will actually have to respect the passing threat from Cam Newton. So that is the Patriots. It might seem crazy coming from a guy like Bill Belichick, but I think the Patriots are like a very real threat to be one of these two quarterback teams this year. Speaking of two folks, there are two running backs, the Baltimore Ravens, the transitions are getting worse and worse and worse. Better and better. I think the show goes on. (laughs) Gus Edwards missed the Ravens, first uh, preseason game due to the COVID-19 protocols, but he played against the Panthers this weekend. I am paraphrasing Jack Miller again, go check out his weekend recap article over at NBC sports edge. And Gus Edwards outsnapped J.K. Dobbins 10 to 8 with the first team offense over the weekend. Dobbins uh, did get the start, but Edwards, he played more. He handled three or four third down snaps. Uh, Denny is Gus Edwards' season back on after, I mean, talk about a COVID blunder. He missed a big chunk of camp. Yeah. Um, really set himself back, gave J.K. Dobbins a huge runway to like create some momentum heading into the season. But are you still feeling good, basically, about Gus Edwards as a zero RB target? I am the, the the COVID thing was was as a Gus truther it was difficult because I, I felt like that was a you know a significant amount of lost time uh, I think ten days or more that you know J.K. Dobbins got to operate as like the unquestioned number one back now Dobbins will probably still retain that role however slightly but it, it was good I think for for those who are pretty happy about taking Gus Edwards in the tenth eleventh round of of twelve team drafts. It was nice to see that he he really is going to be part of this rushing attack. I know that there's been talk about the Ravens being less run heavy this year. I don't quite believe we'll it. See. I mean, I just I mean, for <laughs> even if you thought that, you know, with the with drafting Bateman, with Marquise Brown evolving into, you know, into maybe something something more than a, a a deep threat even if you thought that these these moves and the offseason chatter from the offensive coordinator and everything would portend a, a, a more passing for Baltimore now they're now they're suffering you know wide receiver injuries every other day uh, and and Bateman's not going to play until October probably at the earliest Brown's nicked up 
everybody, Sammy Watkins is hurt. I think Tylen Wallace is the uh, organization's number one wide receiver at the moment. Even him or, or either him or Devin Duvernay, um, who's actually good. And I actually really like Devin Duvernay, but that's neither here nor there. What I'm saying is they're going to run a lot, a lot. And um, if if you can get Gus Edwards as as a guy, you know, late 10th, 11th round, like I said, who fits into a build where you're taking elite wide receivers and tight ends and quarterbacks up top, I think he's a nice fill-in who, who could, you know, could emerge as an every week option. Well, we had someone in the chat, uh, Captain Spock, inform you that Gus is a waste of a roster space, Denny. But uh, uh, so never owned. That's uh, not true at all. By the way, he's not. And Gus Edwards. I mean, the, the coaching staff is obsessed with him. He got paid over the off season. Like, yes, yes. They paid Gus Edwards following J.K. Dobbins' rookie season. Like, right. He's clearly going to play. It's clearly going to remain a two man backfield. And I just. Maybe like the the team can't be any more run heavy than it already was, but I, I mean I think after watching Lamar Jackson the past years, I think we understand like there's a reason this is, has been the approach. This is going to have to continue to be the approach. Yes, they were lacking weapons. You can't have Willie Sneed be your number two wide receiver, but what makes Lamar special, what makes this offense special, is his running ability. And they're not gonna they're not gonna reinvent the wheel this year, even if Rashad Bateman's like contending for offensive rookie of the year like this offense is going to be the one we are familiar with from, from the past two years and that's a very good thing for Gus Edwards because they don't want to wear out one back and I, I absolutely do think that Gus Edwards will continue to see enough work to be fantasy viable even as a number two running back speaking of zero RB Denny do you feel comfortable with any Texan as a zero RB target David Johnson only played third downs I'm informed this weekend Phil Lindsay apparently started. He played like really long into the second half, though. Now, Mark Ingram outsnapped Philip Lindsay with the first team. I mean, I know we, we have to try to find value everywhere. That's like part of zero RB. It's part of fantasy. You just have to try to find where the value is. And uncertainty creates uh, value. But are you drafting any Texans running back? I'm going to have to ask for the listeners' patience as my kids scream somewhere in the house. If you hear that, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I I really just find myself totally disinterested in this Texans backfield because even if you can convince yourself that Philip Lindsay is going to lead the the backfield in touches, it's kind of a who cares situation. Like, what are they going to be in position? Is is Houston going to be in a position every week or ever to you know establish it and and uh, and and run time after time after time? No, I mean if that's if that's Lindsay's role, an early down back, then that's useless on a team that's going to be facing constant negative game script. On the flip side, you say, well, that constant negative game script means David Johnson could get a bunch of looks in the passing game. And and David Johnson has traditionally been a very good pass catcher. The problem then is Terod Taylor doesn't check down. He does not throw it to his running backs. I, I've looked into that for an article I did a couple months ago for NBC Sports Edge. And it, there, there's almost no scenario in which David Johnson is going to get pelted with targets and negative game script as if, you know, like Philip Rivers were his quarterback. It's just, that's just not going to unfold. So I think both, neither of them, neither Johnson nor, nor Philip Lindsay have much appeal. So it's not someone asked in the live chat, by the way, uh, Philip Lindsay in the eighth round on Yahoo. Yay or nay. It sounds like you're a nay. That's a, that's a nay. 
That would be an A for me too. Um, I will say about the Texans and establishing it and running it is I do, I do think this is going to be fully established and game. It's going to be one of those teams, rare teams where game flow game script isn't going to matter. Like they're just going to have to run the ball. I mean, I actually, they're going to want to run the ball and we'll just have to run the ball because they'll be so inept as a passing attack that I actually do think they're going to go full blown established and the game script and game flow won't really matter. So I'm looking at ADP right now, and it appears to me that Philip Lindsay is going side by side with Tony Pollard. Now, I cannot I cannot conceive of the roster build in which you would say, I gotta go Lindsay here. <laughs> because you, you gotta there will be some standalone value, would be the only reason that whereas Tony Pollard still has probably zero standalone value. Um, that probably is the reason. No, I, right, but I mean like I guess in, in maybe if you're like in a really deep league, I guess it makes sense. But holy cow, I I just the the upset, the potential of Pollard versus the potential, the upper limits of each player, it's not in the same galaxy. And no. I I uh, I struggle I struggle with that one, Pollard versus uh, Lindsay. Yeah, and it's gonna be a true three headed monster. I mean, Mark, that's why Mark Ingram has experience in three man backfields. Oh yeah, and, what they want. and the coaches his friend. Yeah, I know. Oh, no. Oh, That's it's bad. Mark Ingram season. Oh, and then David Johnson is by far the best pass catching back on the roster. Yeah. But for a while, I thought yeah, Phil Lindsay actually was going to emerge victorious there. But I've been feeling far less certain on that. And just, yeah, why? Just why bother? Truly, why bother? There, there, there is a one usually situation here where you are just allowed to say why bother. You don't have to try to hunt the value. Just why bother? And the, the Texans do feel like they are that team. Yeah. I mean, I think I think this extends, uh, at least in part, to Brandon Cooks. And, you know, we have done this before. We have gotten excited about a clear-cut number one wide receiver on an abysmal team who will face a ton of negative game script and and therefore targets will funnel to their best pass-catching option. You just heard me try to explain that. And it's a I think I feel like it's a huge leap from the, that thought to reality like that. That rarely translates where, oh, this team is so bad, they're going to give Brandon Cooks 20 targets a week. I know I'm saying that, but, you know, it, it, it's that's that's generally how how people are are considering Brandon Cooks. I, I think I think that's very risky, especially because, you know, Brandon Cooks is not is not free by any means. He's going in the early ninth round like you like that. That's that's real draft capital. You could have you could have much, I think, much better options uh, in that range. So. Am I crossing out? If I am I crossing off all Texans off the draft board? Uh, not quite, but close. For the first time in history, the two biggest sporting events on the planet unite with the Super Bowl and Winter Olympics on NBC this February. Go to NBCSports.com/slash/once-in-a-lifetime for a chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime VIP experience of your choice. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. You must be 18 plus to enter. Ends February 4th. Denny, we're going to close the show. I've got an article coming up. Uh, I'm writing an article. People are saying I'm writing an article. You, you write? Um, yeah, I love to write, by the way. It's been, been difficult this summer. Got a lot a lot cooking over here at NBC Sports Edge. But on hinge point ADPs, that was my branding. I'm not really sure if I love it or not. But basically, I go through the first 10 rounds. And what I find, what I believe to be kind of be like the most fateful like ADP that round, like the one with the widest range of potential outcomes kind of like the ultimate risk reward players and like how these are 
more than any other player like that round are the players who could send your team either direction. And I'm just going to run some of these by you. I think the hinge point ADP in the first round, this is, I'm going to use Yahoo season long ADPs for this because redraft season's really cooking this room. So many people play a uh, Saquon Barkley is currently going at ninth overall. Do you think Saquon Barkley is more likely to win your league or is he more likely to lose your league? I, uh, God, you know, I, I don't, I, I want to say lose, but I'm not saying I'm not saying it just because I'm I'm some sort of like running back hater. I, I really think that there, you know, there's there's reason to think that we're not going to get the massively high volume Saquon Barkley that we saw before the injury. You know, maybe eventually we will. Like maybe if he really like everything stays right and he has no setbacks, um, and the team is very careful with his with his management with his load management during the regular season, maybe by, you know, the second half of the season, we get that, that 2019 Saquon who could produce no, no matter the game script because he was just so involved in the passing game. Maybe that happens, but I think that's, that's some, that's somewhat of a reach. I think that Joe judge's comments a few weeks ago about, about Barkley were a little bit off putting as far as uh, how they plan to use him at least early in the season. So, I mean, I guess there's a point where Barkley becomes a value, but at ninth overall, I I do think that you're rolling the dice and, and not in a great way. Denny's never seen a running back that he liked, of course, at that part of the board. But uh, with Saquon, I mean, I think basically the best case scenario for Saquon Barkley there is the Giants, you know, have all these passing game weapons. Some of them actually come through. They relieve pressure on the running game. The offense finally takes a step forward. Like he's not going to be Josh Allen third year but daniel jones actually makes like some third year progress uh saquon stays healthy and like in that scenario he's basically like a top three back no matter what i feel like he's he is like that good physically and like if things actually break right for the giants offense like saquon would be basically like a league winner out of the ninth spot but i mean like the true worst case scenario is that you know he misses week one i don't think that's gonna happen at this point but Either he misses week one, even if he doesn't miss week one, say he's limited for two to three games beginning of the season. They keep claiming there's gonna be a snap count. I find that very difficult to believe with Javante Williams, or not Javante Williams, uh, Javante Booker being the backup uh, for Saquon. Like they're still not serious about the backup running back spot. Uh, I, I, they're paying Javante Booker as if as if he's like part of a committee. I'm just, I know. Just putting it, it out there. It's interesting, but like Daniel Jones fails to progress. Like the game script just remains hopeless. And you're basically planning for like zero RV by October. Like that's a very real outcome with Saquon Barkley too. And I, I really don't know what the right answer is. I think it probably leans more to the second, unfortunately, where I do find, I do find Saquon to kind of be trending towards like the negative fate from the nine hole basically. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, read the whole article to find out. Uh, the next, Den- Den- I don't know. I don't even know why I'm going to read this one to you, Denny, but uh, David Montgomery is going 32 right now in Yahoo fantasy um, that's you know the very back end of the third round. Uh, see, like people, he's basically being drafted. I feel like like at his floor, like people are so disciplined now. Like no one is assuming like ceiling is even a possibility right. with David Montgomery. But I mean, there's a scenario where he maintains like a stranglehold on pass catching duties because Tariq Cohen. People do kind of forget like he was actually being phased out, not phased out. He was being used much less as a pass catcher last year before he got hurt. He was only getting like two to three targets a game he was 
so inefficient in 2019. And he's not even healthy right now, Tariq Cohen. So I, I think people are not entertaining a possibility seriously enough that David Montgomery like actually fully holds on to that role. And, and people are trying to like boogeyman him with, with Damian Williams, but I mean to me, Damian Williams strikes me as like a pure breather back for this. This is not someone they brought in to be spelling David Montgomery on early downs. And Damian Williams is a good pass catcher. I mean, David Montgomery was actually one of the better pass catcher, pass catching running backs in the NFL last year. He ran the second most routes. So I think people are not entertaining the best case scenario, David Montgomery, uh, nearly enough. Uh, the worst case, of course, is Treat Cohen does return to like five to six weekly targets. Damian Williams has like four to six weekly carries, and David Montgomery's floor is just devastated on all three downs. But and like last year's finish was just totally a mirage. But people keep ding you know, we ding him because so much of the office production was in this one hot stretch against a soft schedule. But like that's what good players take advantage of, like a soft. Like we wouldn't even have given David Montgomery the ability to take advantage of a, a stretch like that. You know, we thought he was that bad, or even that wouldn't matter. And he does; he's proven he can at least take advantage of good matchups. And I actually do think David Montgomery is closer to like his good outcome than his bad bad outcome. Uh, do, do you agree? It, it just it can be brief. No, <laughs> <laughs> but but I will say that if he retains even most of the workload that he saw last year including the passing down stuff him going in the middle or the end of the third round would make him probably the best running back value in the whole draft if that were to to unfold and cohen's absence uh this month in training camp and preseason is not not insignificant i could have just said significant but i i think we do disagree a little bit on damian williams role the guy um, didn't even play last year. I mean, I know, I know. And, and he talked about like being on the couch for most of last year. So that, that made me, I read that quote and I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass right over that. But yeah, I mean, reports out of bears camp are glowing about David Montgomery. I mean, they, the, the beat writers and the coaches, the players that love them. And I know that this is all, you know, these are all intangibles and everything, but apparently he's taken like a massive leadership role and really like taken charge of the backfield and how it, how it's run. Those things matter as far as playing time goes, they just do. And so I, I would not, although I'm not in on Montgomery at his ADP, I wouldn't discount the best case scenario from, from unfolding. And if he does, like I said, massive value. Yeah, he's just he's a genuinely like really wide range of outcomes. Yeah, uh, like I think one of the most in all of fantasy football. And Damian Williams, oh, this is my final thought on Damian Williams. Like, I think that was a signing about we are tired of not having like a legitimate backup. Right. Like, we don't want it to be Artavis Pierce. We don't want it to be Ryan Null. Like, we don't want to get in that situation again where if David Montgomery misses a game or two, we're just like signing dudes off the street. Sure. I re- I think that's probably what Damian Williams is about. The final one. Uh, final hinge point ADP for me is Juju Smith-Schuster at 90.9. Uh, I mean, the guy caught 97 passes last year, and he's essentially going in the ninth yeah. round. Seems kind of crazy. But, you know, the, the, the scenarios there are pretty easy to spot, too. Or like, So the best-case scenario, I feel like, is Juju, he reemerges as, like, the primary compiler for this offense. Uh, he's more Keenan Allen than, like, late-career Jason Witten, which is essentially – what Juju Smith-Schuster was last year. And he gets himself like back in that, that weekly wide receiver two mix. The worst case scenario is 
Najee Harris is established. Uh, ben Roethlisberger and Deontay Johnson, like their chemistry doesn't fade at all. Deontay is actually the compiler in this offense. And Juju is like just another slot receiver who you're hoping for 70 empty receptions from basically. Like he gets nowhere close to 100. Which side for Juju are you are you falling in of, of those like that projection fantasy basically? I find it really hard to take a, uh, a black and white stance on, on, on Juju because of the reasonable ADP. <laughs> um, it is reasonable. You know, very reasonable. Like, and, and I will say that the way they use him and the way he produces makes really makes him only appealing in PPR formats. Um, standard scoring truthers are just, just they're, beside themselves. They're tilted. With, with Juju's uh, fantasy output last year. You know, so I kind of think that Ben Roethlisberger's regenerated uh, throwing arm, which is Regen- not, let's you know, just not, say the Regeneron. He has, a, he arm. has, he's had a lot of Regeneron. Let's not get political, but no. you know, he, but apparently, yeah, I mean, he, he's, his arm is way stronger than it was this time last year. I think that that could be good for Deontay Johnson. I think it'd be great, you know, for Chase Claypool. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's like the perfect thing for Juju Smith Schuster and the way that they've used him. And by the way, this whole thing from three months ago about Juju being used on the outside, that's not not happening. It's just no. not going to happen. The source for that was clearly Juju Smith Schuster. I, I <laughs> and, believe it was. I believe it was not we, the Steelers coaching we staff. Have, and... We have un unmasked the source yeah. and it is the receiver himself. I think we are much closer yeah, to the negative Juju outcome where he doesn't really even come close tonight. Because the Steelers I mean, they've been saying it since January. They do not want to pass that much again. And they, oh, yeah. Juju is clearly to them just a slot guy. And he'll be lucky to have like one of those kind of like shaky Jarvis Landry seasons where, yeah, he's just fighting for 75 receptions. And yeah, I think that's fair. I think he should have gone somewhere else in free agency. He's he, the Steelers have like a great culture. So like he just clearly didn't want to leave that culture, but. He he should have gone somewhere else for his own football. Should have really really considered going someplace for way more money. That's yes. my, my one man's opinion. Way more money with way less target competition. Yeah. Matt does it for today. I check out my article on the site. Denny's, what's you? You have some articles coming up this week. I do. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm seeking clarity from beat writers from across the league, especially in offenses where we're not quite sure how target share will play out, how backfield, you know, backfield work will play out. This week I'm I'm interviewing a beat writer for the 49ers to drill down on the usage for all all the fantasy relevant players in that offense. It should be up uh, Tuesday. Super super useful stuff. That's been a great series. So check that out. Check out Pat Corain's show on Tuesday. Check out Matt Strout, Denny John and I on Thursday. And for Denny Carter, I am Patrick Darty. We'll see you all week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.